welcome to the Open Apple Podcast, where we celebrate the Apple too. Whether you're a long-time user, a nostalgic visitor, or a newcomer to the community, join us as we share news and memories of Steve Wozniak's most famous personal computer. Hello and welcome to Open Apple. This is episode 72 for June 2017. I am your co-host, the first, Coin Donkey. With me as always is co-host, the second, Mike McGinnis. How you doing, Mike? Quinn, that's such a great intro. I think I'm going to steal it and use it on other podcasts. I think you've already done that, haven't you? Oh, no. <laughs> you stole pieces of it for drop three inches anyway. What? No, not me. How are you, Quinn? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. That would be drop three inches, the Apple three podcast. Uh, <laughs> hey, I didn't even have to mention it. <laughs> that's right. There you see, we got it away. We got it out of the way in like 11 seconds. So now you have <laughs> that's to worry right. about it. Well, maybe. <laughs> um, so it's... Uh, um, the the big countdown is on for Kansas Fest. It is, yeah. In fact, this show maybe it'll go out before K Fest, but let's be honest, probably not. Uh, <laughs> maybe it'll go out during K Fest if uh, Mike gets bored uh, late one night and wants to edit. <laughs> well, well, we'll try to push it out so that uh, uh, everybody has something to listen to on the way, and then they can complain about it when they get there. <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> uh, yes, they can complain about all the stuff we got wrong in person. It's a rare well, treat. That's right. Just knock on <laughs> knock on our doors, and uh, we'll be there. Yeah. So, uh, have you doing, been doing any retro computing since we talked last? Uh, it's been uh, kind of slow for me in that area this summer, just because I've got a, you know, I started a, a new job in a new career field recently, and I've been getting used to that. I'm really, really loving it, but, you know, it's, I have no base of knowledge from which to work, so it's all new and exciting, and yeah, I haven't had a lot of time. What about Very you? Cool. Very cool. Well, yeah, I've been busy uh, on my uh, Apple IIc. Uh, well, technically on my emulator, but I like to pretend it's an Apple IIc. Sure. Uh, <laughs> working on my uh, Kansas Fest project. Uh, as usual, I think I will be finishing it uh, on the plane. But uh, <laughs> it's very, very nearing completion. So hopefully I'll be able to show something uh, pretty nifty. Great. Can't wait to see it. Yeah. Well, speaking of Kansas Fest, uh, as is tradition here on the show, we like to uh, talk to one of the committee members uh, right before the big event. And uh, this month, we've got uh, P- uh, Peter Newbar with us. Say hello, Peter. Hello. Good to talk to you. I look forward to seeing you in uh, 19 days at Kansas Fest. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hey, yeah. Peter, welcome back to the show. We had you on like way early in our round, I think. Yeah, it's been a while, but I've enjoyed listening to you. It's uh, a lot lower pressure when I can listen and don't have to talk. Uh, so, uh, let's see. Well, since it's been a while since you've been on the show, Peter, why don't we start with, uh, some of the basics for people who may not know you. Uh, what, uh, what was your introduction to the Apple II? My introduction to the Apple II was in third grade. My third grade teacher used an Apple IIe, an Apple logo in the classroom, and that sparked my passion and interest in computers. Eventually, it turned into a career. Many years later, I found myself within driving distance of Kansas Fest, and that rekindled my interest in the Apple II, and I've been going ever since. Cool. So when was that first K-Fest? It was the year that Jason Scott was the keynote speaker. I think five years ago now. Actually, I have a handy spreadsheet here. I can look that up for you. That would have been 2009. Okay, so going back a little ways. So uh, what was the first Apple II that you acquired or owned or had regular access to? For a very long time, it was an Apple IIe at school. Eventually, I got an Apple IIc+. That was an incredible day, and I spent a lot of time with it, Apple IIc+. And I have to admit that the Apple IIc+, beep, sounds correct to me after spending so much time with it. (laughs) 
<laughs> Blasphemy. Wow. Okay. <laughs> You're off the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so I don't suppose I can interest you in my ROM then that corrects the peeps. <laughs> I have one. It's very, it, it's very nice to work. <laughs> oh, good. Well, thank He's you. He's trying to collect them all and destroy them. <laughs> yeah, right. Ah, you foiled my Secretly plan. Secretly working against us. Yeah. <laughs> well, so that, that's actually really interesting. I don't think there's probably too many people out there for whom their first Apple II was the 2C+. Plus. So that's kind of a neat uh, data point. Yeah, that is strange. And uh, it, it does warp my perspective on the Apple IIe I, or Apple other Apple IIs in general. I can't figure out why the disks don't hold 800K and why everything <laughs> runs so slow. But, but but I finally did figure out why I was so terrible at games. Ah, there, yeah, that's good. Yeah, ah, it wasn't me all along. That's 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 refreshing. They're running so fast, I don't get it. <laughs> no, I could never figure out how someone could ever succeed or get past the first level in these games going so fast. <laughs> so uh, how did you transition then from KFest attendee to KFest co-organizer? Uh, after I've been going, I think, two years, uh, there is a need for someone to help with my public relations, updating the website, doing artwork for t-shirts, and things like that. So I joined to support that, and over time, my role has evolved. From what to what? Um... For the last several years, I haven't done t-shirt designs. I've spent more time on some of the more mundane tasks, processing registrations, taking checks down to the bank, ordering t-shirts, and things like that. But uh, just shifting roles, and I'm sure that'll shift again with time. I certainly enjoyed I certainly enjoyed creating artwork for several of the t-shirts uh, several years ago. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's right. In fact, you created the artwork that we use uh, for our icon here at OpenApple. And thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. I think that my background with the Apple II can bring a different perspective than a uh, graphic designer without that background. So the, uh, the the convention has been growing like crazy these past few years, um, and it's really outstanding to see what, what kind of challenges has this presented for the committee behind the scenes. Yeah, last year we had 80 people. This year we have, at the moment, 99 people registered and space for one more. There's been a few cancellations, so probably by the time folks hear this, that spot will be filled. It's been difficult fitting everybody into the buildings, into the conference spaces. We have limits from the, the facilities, but it's changing how we organize things, reducing the number of tables in the uh, presentation room, for example. We've in we're trying to encourage double occupancy so that we can fit more people in the building on lower floors. And we're also adding a newcomer's orientation this year. I think we have one of those scheduled Tuesday, possibly even one Monday if there's enough people there. And that'll help folks who are, who are coming to Kansas Fest for the first time figure out what's going on, where the different buildings are what it means to leave your door open at night, how to wander around and uh, see the incredible projects everyone's working on. One thing I found over the years is that the presentations are only a small piece of Kansas Fest. And yeah, that's true. Everybody else there has incredible ideas, experiences, projects that they're working on. And maybe they didn't decide to get up and present it, but it's well worth the time and effort to wander the halls, look for the open doors, and talk to people, point out the cool stuff that they have. Yeah, that's that's a really great idea because, yeah, K-Fest really is unique in that way. It's not like a, a typical 
hotel conference type thing where you, yeah, you, you're in your room and then you're sitting in a conference room all day listening to speakers. It's, uh, yeah, it's a very different sort of format. And I think a lot of people may not understand how it, exactly how it works. Yeah. So I think getting, getting folks familiar with how Kansas Fest works is the biggest challenge. And There'll be some more challenges with just having more people, more potential for problems, but in general, I I don't think that'll be an issue. So is this the highest number of new people, like first-time attendees this year? No, I don't have the number of first-time attendees. It is the largest number of attendees we've had overall at Kansas Fest since at least 1994, maybe 1992, oh, wow. a gap in May data. Ooh. <laughs> wow, so possibly the largest since the Apple II was still being produced. <laughs> I know, it's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. Despite the 100-person limit that we have on the facilities, we haven't actually turned anyone away. There's been a few cancellations, a few people on the wait list, a few people who have filled the spots. So I, I'm happy that I don't have to say no to anybody. Oh, good. I remember a lot of the attendees um, that are that are showing up, quote-unquote, are... Um, these seditious Atari and and uh, Commodore bastards. So we got to force them out and, and get more Apple II people in there. Yeah, that's a good idea. I'm not quite sure how to do that. <laughs> there might be a room we could lock them in in the basement, but there you go. <laughs> in Atari closet. <laughs> I hear there's a giant podcasting session. I think Friday, so maybe we could recruit those podcasters to help. Yes. <laughs> Although we should uh, we should make some exceptions because uh, Rob McMullen, uh, an Atari devotee, has been uh, helping me with one of my uh, with one of my projects, actually including the one that uh, I'm going to be showing at KFest. Uh, and uh, I think Kevin Savitz gets a pass because you know Kevin Savitz. So uh, yeah, I guess once you op- once you open that door, then we got to make allowances for all of them. Yeah, so, that's yeah. true. Kevin did win Hackfest last year. I think he wrote his first <laughs> assembly language program ever, and it was incredible. And it won Hackfest. Yeah, Blasphemy. yeah. If that's if that's not the spirit of K Fest, I don't know what is. Uh, new hardware, new language, new everything, and and he won. So uh, good on him. Absolutely. So, um, why you you mentioned, of course, that uh, presentations are are just like a small portion of it, but they are they are something that everybody I think enjoys attending, and um, and I, I know that each year feels different so all of the you know the presentations are different and uh why don't we start with the um the keynote uh brutal deluxe is going to be there this year how did that come together yeah uh, the entire brutal deluxe team um antoine and olivier will be given the keynote and as background for folks who are unfamiliar with them they've done an incredible amount of work with preservation on the apple II, software development particularly on the apple II gs you need to go visit their uh, website. I think it's actually I'm not going to say the website, so I'll probably get it wrong. But it's a, it's listed on the Kansas Fest website, and you should take a look at uh, the Brutal Deluxe website. There's an incredible number of software products out there, original software, and I look forward to talking to them. And this came about uh, sort of by accident. We heard that Antoine was thinking of visiting on his own, reached out to him, offered offered him to be the keynote, and he responded and said that, well, both he and Olivia were interested. So it's a, it's a rare opportunity to get the entire team together, and they're going to be there for the entire week. So I'm sure sure we'll learn a lot from them. And they're flying over from France, right? Yeah, they're making the long journey from France. 
what what else uh, can you give us any you know previews or anything like that of what we what we might be seeing as far as uh, sessions? I know that's not uh, something that's usually announced, but yeah, the session schedule is packed. We actually accidentally accepted a few too many sessions, but uh, I think it's working out. <laughs> yeah, it's it's also very difficult to deny any of these sessions just because all of them so, sound so interesting. Uh, a couple that we have on the books for this year include an Apple II Family Feud. Kevin Savitz is leading that. And <laughs> he's promised that, to quote from his session description, hilarity will ensue. <laughs> so I'm not sure what that means. The the Hogans are back with their game port I.O., but this time they're using the game port to control 120 volts. So any session with the, the possibility for serious injury or death is, is going to be more exciting. <laughs> and their presentations are always are always excellent, and they, they do excellent mm-hmm. work. There's a session on compiling sprites from uh, somebody named Quinn. Um, mm. A little uncertain about that one, but... Yeah, we'll she's a hack. Don't don't bother going. <laughs> <laughs> you should bump that immediately. <laughs> well, I'm not doing the session schedule, so. Oh, okay. uh, David Schmenk is going to talk about NTSC color artifacts. He's promised that he has some new information. His session description calls it a next generation. So I look forward to seeing what he has. Evan Koblenz from the VCF is going to be attending for the first time. He's going to get give a session on Lego programming. We also have various sessions on game programming. Uh, Mark Lemmert, the author of uh, Nox Archaeus, is going to be talking about how how he developed his software. We have sessions on uh, handmade floppy disk sleeves, podcasting, uh, text adventures, AppleSoft Basic, and uh, Randy Brandt is going to speak, be speaking about uh, Beagle Bros and AppleWorks. Uh, the list goes on. I think we have a pretty good selection of both um, technical sessions as well as, uh, I'll call them more lighthearted, but nonetheless useful sessions. Now, um, it's been quite a while, but I, as I recall, some of those early Kansas Fests, we actually had to have like multiple tracks of sessions going uh, throughout the week. Is that something you guys have considered? We've considered it, especially as we get more people attending Kansas Fest, but we're not doing it this year. I welcome feedback about that. Yeah, personally, I'm a fan of the single track because honestly, like other big conferences, GDC and so on, it always kind of annoys me that I can never quite manage to go to everything I want. So uh, uh, I'm, I'm one of those people that just camps out in the back of this session room all day, every day, because I just love all the sessions. Yeah, I know what you mean. I'm interested in all aspects of the Apple II, and I don't know that I could choose if I had to. <laughs> One of the uh, big things about uh, Kansas Fest has always been the nightlife and staying up, you know, five, six, seven days in a row. And of course, as we get, as we get older and grayer, those hours tend to shrink a little bit, but it's still a big thing. Um Peter, are you one of these night owls that stays up late and does does the stuff that no one talks about? I do tend to I do tend to stay up far too late, though I don't consider myself a night owl. This year, I think we've done a pretty good job not packing the evenings with sessions. We have a we have a solder fest and a mini hack fest and a couple of workshops and game game tournaments in the evening. But we've done a pretty good job of keeping the the sessions during the daytime hours so that the the nighttime hours are available for crazy things or sleeping, whichever you prefer. 
<laughs> Late night runs to Steak and Shake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have you ever done that? I have, yes. No, I keep meaning to do that one. That's been on my list. But uh, yeah, I never I never seem to know when it's going to happen. And then I guess I'm asleep when it happens. So I seem to miss <laughs> it every year. Yeah, it, it is sort of a balancing act because, you know, you get back from that thing at 3.30 or 4 in the morning and then you're completely wiped out for a good portion of the next day. And so, yeah, you got to decide uh, what your priorities are, you know. Do you do you go to Comic-Con and just sit in line for Hall H the whole time or do you do you go and visit some of these these uh, more obscure sessions? Yeah, it is tough. There's There's so much to do. Kansas Fest is, has a, a really rich history just in, in just because it's been around for so long. Is there anyone planning to talk about like the history of Kansas Fest or anything like that? No, we don't have we don't have that. Nobody proposed that. Hmm. But that would be okay. an interesting topic. There's so much of the history that I don't know. I would I'd be fascinated. Yeah, definitely. Somebody needs to get on that right now. <laughs> Yeah, I could see it maybe as a piece of the intro before the keynote. There's always a little bit of a blurb about, you know, who K-Fest is and, and that, that sort of thing. Yeah, there'll be a bit of a blurb there, but uh, I think the deeper history requires more time. Uh, Quinn, what what um, what are you most looking forward to? Oh, boy. Uh, well, right now, finishing my project. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I guess, um, you know, I think every year I try to do some new piece of it that I haven't done before, you know, because every year, I mean, there's so much to do, you can't do all of it. So uh, uh, I try to just do new things. So I'm hoping maybe this is the year uh, that I make it to Steak and Shake. Uh, but, uh, you know, of course, I love the sessions. But, um, you know, also, there's, I love all of the, you know, off the book stuff as well. Uh, you know, I think some people are planning to bring uh, some board games this year, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, hardcore board gamers amongst us. And uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and you know, I, I know it's a cop out, uh, to say the people, but, uh, sorry, sorry, Carrington, but, um, <laughs> it, you know, it is really a lot of it is just seeing, seeing, uh, the people again and, uh, uh, you know, trudging, uh, through a hot, a living hot tub to the cafeteria for the, for the food every, uh, every day. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, and it's, it's going to be interesting to see just what it's like with that many people. I mean, it's been getting bigger every year since I started going, but, uh, this is, you know, this is a full 30% larger, I think than the last time, uh, last year. So, uh, that's, that's a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, things like the garage giveaway, you know, are interesting in that context of having that many more people, uh, swarming. And in fact, uh, I believe Sean said that, uh, Sean Fahey is going to be bringing, uh, even more stuff than ever and uh, kind of in honor of the large turnout. So we should expect uh, a very, very large, uh, garage giveaway this year. And uh, I think he's also said that, uh, you know, they're getting pretty deep into the inventory at this point. So some of the really interesting stuff is going to start coming out. You know, they've gotten rid of all of the, you know, yellow two E's with broken keys. So uh, they're starting <laughs> to get into the, uh, more exotic and interesting stuff now. Going to be fist fights over zip chips and things like that. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I think he's hanging on to those, but uh, there should be some gems in there. I mean, there was some gems even last year, even some non-Apple stuff. Uh, you know, there, there was a there was a Franklin Ace 500, which was a very cool machine that, wow, uh, that yeah. someone grabbed. There was a Coco 3, which, you know, I know is a pretty special machine, even though I didn't have a lot of interest myself. Um, so, yeah, a lot of, a lot of bizarre and interesting things. Um, Peter, um, do you, as a, as somebody on the committee, do you have 
time to enjoy uh, a lot of this stuff or are you just running around organizing and things? I force myself to make time. And the reason why I'm on the Kansas Fest committee is because I enjoy going to Kansas Fest. I want to keep seeing Kansas Fest every year, year after year. I want to make Kansas Fest a bit better. But for all it to be worthwhile, I, I need to be there and enjoy it myself. So it's difficult, definitely. But at least last year, at least for the last couple of years, I've managed to enjoy Kansas Fest myself, gone to most of the sessions, enjoyed the garage giveaway, enjoyed a lot of the after-hours things as well. Great. So uh, then what are you most looking forward to? I most look forward to being with other folks who care about the Apple II and talk about the Apple II for a little less than a week. At no other time in my life do I I get to spend time with folks who want to talk about the Apple II. Ugh, the people. Wow. Yuck, yuck, yuck. (laughs) I know. I mentioned the Apple II and people say, oh, yeah, I remember that. Next topic. (laughs) So, Mike, let me flip the script on you then. Uh, It's been... uh, uh, it's been, what, two years since you were able to attend? So uh, right, yes. what uh, what are you looking forward to? I will probably um, look forward to what I always do, and that's wandering from uh, room to room, the open doors, and seeing what people are doing. Because often a lot of the interesting uh, innovations and ideas for, you know, upcoming Apple II hardware and software are either thought up or tested at Kansas Fest. Um, you get a lot of get a lot of these really uh, bright, creative people together, and, and and great stuff happens. For sure, yeah. And a lot of times, those partnerships persist after Kansas Fest. And, and so, Peter, getting back to kind of your personal uh, involvement with the Apple II, now I know you're a big fan of uh, logo. Will, the, will there be any uh, logo related content this year? I will be giving a short presentation on Logo, looking at uh, how to bring Logo to modern platforms in the iPad and some of the adaptations that we can make to change how the user interface works in Logo that was adapted to the Apple II, a text-based user interface. And I'm also interested in Evan's uh, Lego programming. I don't know if he's using Logo. However, Logo did work with uh, the Lego Robotics. The uh, What do they call them? I think they call them Lego Robotics. The Lego Robotics line. And you could control various robots with uh, Logo. Very cool. Yeah, that uh, would be the, sort of the first generation of uh, Lego stuff uh, long before uh, Mindstorms. Yeah, it was the precursor to that. So uh, you'd mentioned a uh, session or two at at, uh, at the outset uh, for newcomers once they get there. But uh, do you have any advice for people who, um, who or, or, um, do you have any advice for new people before they show up if they happen to be listening to this podcast? You know, maybe what they should bring or what the you know what they might look forward to. I would warn people that. Kansas City in the middle of the summer is hot, so dress appropriately. (laughs) Fortunately, most everything is indoors. And then I would encourage people to come with with an open mind, both from the perspective that there's a a lot of people with a lot of different projects. And even if you tend to be introverted, wander the halls, look look at what people are doing, ask questions, even if it's just, hey, that's cool. Can you show me more? Simple question, but it can often lead to, to learning a lot. Yeah, and I'll, I'll echo that open mind sentiment uh, with, uh, you know, the people. Again, you know, people come from all over the world to, to attend this thing. And so there's a, a really great cross-section of, you know, humanity, so to speak, uh, at, uh, at this thing every year. So uh, I think uh, you're definitely going to meet people that uh, you might not otherwise encounter, in, you know, wherever your daily life takes you. 
Yeah, absolutely. Both from the perspective of interest in the Apple II, interest span from very technical to folks who enjoy using the computer as an end user, and also from individual backgrounds, perspectives, and beliefs. So if you find someone who uh, you strongly disagree with, then try to set that aside for a week and focus on the Apple II. Yeah, yeah, we're there to talk about the Apple II. <laughs> Nothing else uh, needs to <laughs> needs to be on the table necessarily. I'm pointing out that the Apple II um, is the one thing that brings us all together. <laughs> That's right. <There> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, I guess people should probably also be aware of the uh, of the beds. If you haven't signed up for the linens, to make sure you bring your own, that sort of thing. There's a great uh, packing list on the uh, Kansas Fest website, which uh, which we'll link to in the show notes. Definitely. We'll have a welcome email and an updated uh, welcome webpage that'll come out in uh, probably a week or two. And there are always outings to local stores. If you need something, forget something, choose not to pack something because you want to fit your Apple II instead. Yeah, I think uh, I think I've gone to Walmart and bought flip-flops every year because every year I forget to bring the flip-flops that I brought last year. That's a good point. I'd forgotten that myself. <laughs> <laughs> shower flip-flops very important now is there a place where people can go and sign up for possible kansas fest discussions perhaps on a list that is served somewhere <laughs> that's a very leading question yes we have a <laughs> email discussion list if you... what what do you mean <laughs> if you head over to our website kansasfest.org over on the left hand side there's a section called news and you'll see discussion lists you can sign up for an email list that's probably the best way to get uh, news about kansas fest this informal discussions preceding and during Kansas Fest. We also have a uh, Facebook event if you prefer that. We have a Twitter account if you'd like to follow that. I also encourage folks to uh, tweet their experiences and uh, thoughts. We also have a, a Slack chat. So I think there's there's a lot of ways to stay in touch with folks. If you're interested in seeing things that have happened at past Kansas Fest, we have a YouTube channel, and uh, uh, Mr. Jason Scott has put up a lot of recordings from past sessions on the Internet Archive. And again, all these links are on our website, either under News or uh, the lower left corner of our website. You see several icons. I, for one, am super excited, and I cannot wait to get there. <laughs> Agreed. Forward to seeing you soon. Well, thank you, Peter. We appreciate you coming and talking to us. Thank you. Thank you for your time and enthusiasm. Hi, this is Steve Wozniak, and you're listening to Open Apple. All right. Well, thanks again, Peter. That was awesome. Uh, now let's, uh, let's roll into some news, Mike. It may be old, but there's still news. Apple II News. This uh, first one comes to us from a listener, and uh, the, the news here is that uh, the book High-Res Graphics and Animation Using Assembly Language was scanned by uh, Apple II fan uh, Francois Michaud. I hope I didn't butcher your name, Francois. Uh, and this is uh, this is a gem of a book that, as far as I know, was not previously available. Uh, it's kind of along the lines of um, Michael Packard's favorite book that we had on the show last month, uh, yeah. Arcade Game Design in <laughs> Apple Graphics and Assembly Language, uh, something like that. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I flipped through this uh, book, and it's a solid scan, uh, and it looks like a really great resource. Awesome. Now, is that uh, I noticed that this is on a 
uh, a French website. Is it in English? It is actually an English book, yeah. And uh, yeah, the link that we'll have in the show notes is, I think, to the top level of all of their scans, but uh, it's in there. There is some French stuff in there as well, but uh, a number of other Apple II books there. Uh, but yeah, the book itself is is in English. It follows a similar format to that other book. Uh, it starts off with you know explaining the high res graphics page and how to draw simple shapes, and then getting into more complex things, moving things vertically, moving things horizontally, and and then it culminates in a in an arcade game. Uh, so I think uh, between the two books, you could probably get a, a really good understanding of uh, of how to animate things in high res. You know the the usual Apple II screen black magic and animal sacrifice and voodoo going on in the background, of course. Exactly. Yeah, very important. <laughs> uh, all right. Next item we've got is from uh, friends of the show, sixty five hundred two workshop, who will be at Kansas Fest giving a presentation on Knox Archaist, and uh, we expect some big news there. Hopefully, uh, maybe able to even be dueling uh, game launch presentations between them and uh, the Lawless Legends team. We'll see. I told you, dance battle. Dance battle. <laughs> it's right, dance battle, yes. Um, my money is on Martin Hay. Uh, <laughs> so the news here is that uh, hacker community, cracker, uh, archivist, uh, friend of the community, Cucumba, uh, is joining the 6502 workshop team as a developer. So he will be doing uh, their bootloader and their copy protection, that kind of thing, uh, miscellaneous other uh, stuff. And also industry veteran uh, Beth Daggert will be joining as a project advisor. So the 6502 workshop team is now up to eight. Where are they going to fit them all? Yeah, that's impressive. That's uh, that's larger than uh, most of the teams uh, at the company I work with currently doing mobile <laughs> applications. So uh, wow. the fact that there's eight people doing an Apple II game in 2017 is pretty fantastic. That's it's a pretty intense, yep. Yeah. And uh, speaking of Knox Archaist, uh, they have a new one of their now uh, classic vignettes. Uh, this one's called Dungeons of Drathnor, and I believe it is showcasing their new dungeon engine. Yeah, I'm really looking. I, I, I've really gotten hooked on these things. I, I look forward to seeing uh, these new vignettes and, and what they're doing. And uh, it's definitely been a, a great tool for them to, to maintain interest because, you know, I mean, uh, game development takes time and um, you want people to be excited when it finally gets here. Yeah, yeah, and the production values on these vignettes is actually quite uh, quite good. They're fun to watch. Indeed. There's a real charm to them because, you know, there's nice production values and good music and everything, but uh, then it's also Apple II graphics uh, <laughs> <laughs> happening. So it's, yeah, there's definitely a charm to it. Uh, all right, so here's an interesting one that came across my uh, RSS feed. So a gentleman by the name of uh, Wade Clark, uh, who was the author of a game called Questor 2 in 1989, uh, and uh, he decided to revisit the game and blog his experience of, as, of going back and playing it as a user. So, you know, there's been enough time that I guess he's basically forgotten everything about the game. So he went back and played his own game uh, as a player 25 years later. And, uh, you know, just talks about his experiences. So it's a, it's a pretty interesting read. Yeah, I, uh, Wade Clark, um, he's, uh, he's been developing Apple II software for quite some time, of course, uh, like you said. Um, most, uh, well, maybe not most recently, but in the, in the recent past, he, was the, uh, he wrote uh, Lead Light, the, um, I think that's how you pronounce that, the um, award-winning interactive fiction game for the Apple II. It's, uh, it's a horror game that um, was uh, featured on the cover of Juice GS a while back. And uh, he's done quite a bit of um, 
uh, quite a bit for the community. So it's great to see that he's still involved. And, and it's always fun to, to see the original authors dig stuff up from the past and just kind of get nostalgic and, and uh, really go through the ins and outs of, the, of their, their products. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's nice to see the, uh, the OG developers uh, still poking around with the hardware all this time later. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's funny, sometimes we interview those developers here on the show and we ask them if they still do any Apple II stuff and sometimes the answer is, what? No. <laughs> why, why would I do that? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it was 30 years ago. <laughs> That's right. They look at us like we have forgotten to take our medicine or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so speaking of developers that are still at it, uh, French uh, demo and game legends uh, Ninja Force uh, created a new demo uh, in 2017, which is pretty awesome. And uh, this demo was shown at uh, a big demo scene show called Revision 2017. Uh, so we will link in the show notes to a video of this. It's uh, a YouTube link. It's a YouTube deep link into the middle of the live stream of this event. It's a really big event, and it covers you know all platforms, all hardware, everything. Uh, from, you know, crazy modern PC stuff to Atari 8-bit to, you know, uh, all sorts of things. And uh, this year, uh, which is pretty unusual, there was a 2GS demo in there, which is really nice to see. So, uh, yeah, so it's uh, the quality of this video isn't great because it is a link to the middle of a, a live YouTube stream, but uh, it is kind of amusing. There's commentary. Um, I think it's in Germany, I want to say. Uh, but there's uh, subtitles and so on for the commentary. Uh, so, yeah, it's kind of a, a fun watch. And uh, uh, I imagine there is video of just the demo by itself here somewhere, which I will try and dig up a link for in the show notes, if not even just a disk image so you can run it in an emulator. Oh, that, that seems like fun. I, I hadn't heard about this. So I'm gonna, I will be checking that out as soon as we hang up here. Yeah, how often do you find a, a new uh, <laughs> 2GS demo in this day and age? Right. <laughs> Uh, okay, so let's see. Next up, oh, I, so last month uh, we, we read a user uh, let, uh, uh, Boy, this new tongue is just not working out. Uh, you get what you pay for. That's right. Time to, like, to, to, to get send it in for warranty repair. Yeah, well, it was Amazon Prime, and I'm like, oh, I can't afford not to buy this. And then, <laughs> yeah, right. I should have known. That's what you get. Yep. So anyway, last month we got an email from a listener who wondered if there was any kind of graphics libraries or references for uh, programming low-res graphics in assembly language. And uh, we had sort of stumbled around and vaguely suggested maybe they learn to use the text screen because low-res is kind of the same thing and maybe go from there. Well, uh, listener Tom Porter to the rescue, he has actual help for this uh, other user. <laughs> uh, so Tom has uh, been doing a lot of low-res stuff and double low-res stuff lately, as well as audio stuff. We've talked about him uh, recently a lot. And uh, so he has actually a low-res graphics library. So you can look at the code and you know learn how things are done and also just uh, use it to do your own stuff. Uh, so we will link to that in the show notes. And uh, that's a really, really nice thing. And thanks to Tom for sharing that with everybody. Yeah, that's that's uh, very generous of you, Tom. Thank you. Yeah, we we do love open source here on Open Apple. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, let's see. So the call APPL ah, mm, call a call APPLE. That's what I get for trying to say it all fancy. I should just say <laughs> call Apple like everybody else. Um, but that would be a trademark, and that's technically not the official name. It's call APPLE. Uh, the call Apple folks have been busy again. Uh, they have a new book out on the history of synergistic software. So we will link to all of that stuff in the show notes. Uh, and also a book including, uh, looks like you added this after the fact, Mike, uh, some memoirs. 
Yeah, hang on. I'm just making notes for next month. The apologies we're going to have to issue for for all of this. Mm, of course, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so so yeah, so the first book is is uh, the synergistic software like itself. It's the documentation for the games, and I think there's some write ups and artwork and things, and it looks really great. The other uh, book that they released is um, Robert Clardy was the CEO of Synergistic Software, and that he uh, sat down and wrote up his memoirs of his days uh, developing and, and running that company. And uh, they've also released that. It's called uh, Cyberjack. So check out both of those books. Awesome. Wow. Call Apple people still getting it done. Yeah, it's crazy how, how much they're putting out over there. Yeah, they publish a lot of new material and republish a lot of old material. So uh, yeah, if you're looking for an old Apple II book, it's a good place to go look first because uh, they may in fact uh, own that uh, copyright and be still producing it. Yep, we love it. All right, so we've talked uh, a lot lately about uh, the 8-bit dough uh, Apple II-themed game controller. And, uh, fail, fail, fail. <laughs> yes, it's, uh, it's been a mixed, uh, mixed success, let's say. Uh, <laughs> it's certainly gotten better lately with some of their firmware updates. Mm. Yep. But, uh, one, of course, the, the killer, possibly killer feature of it is the uh, game port Bluetooth dongle for Apple II that was an option with it. And I think I had bemused at some point recently on the show here that I was going to get one of those dongles and uh, play with it on its own just to see if it could be used for general Bluetooth stuff on the Apple II. Uh, and uh, intrepid hacker Alex Lucazzi beat me to it, uh, as he often does. And uh, <laughs> so he's been doing just that, playing with just the Bluetooth dongle part of that thing and uh, seeing uh, how it works and what it can do. So we will link to a great blog post that he has on that subject. And speaking of other people that are blogging better than me, uh, the, uh, <laughs> this is a blog I hadn't actually heard of. Uh, it's called uh, Battle Stations, and uh, I think it's a general uh, tech blog or hobby blog of a particular person out there, but uh, I don't think it generally covers Apple II content, at least not that I've been able to tell. But uh, uh, for whatever reason, uh, this uh, he has done a series of posts. I think there's eight parts on Apple II double high res, which is a very cool and exotic topic. Many of us are very interested in it, including myself. And uh, it's really the only graphics mode that puts the Apple II anywhere close to uh, some of our competitors graphics-wise. Uh, you know, full high res uh, resolution with 16 colors on any pixel. It's pretty great. Uh, but it's uh, obscenely complicated to program for. Uh, it's just, it's, it's utterly maddening. Uh, but uh, if you can master it, <laughs> it's really quite powerful because it has uh, full, there's two full pages. You can do page flipping animation and six, like I say, 16 colors per, uh, per pixel. And it's, it's uh, direct color, just four bits, uh, you know, per pixel. And there's no weird palette bits or, you know, bit shifting color artifacts, none of that stuff. They basically, it's the, it's the graphics mode that you wish you'd had in 1977. But uh, uh, anyway, point of all that, it's very complicated to program for. Uh, and this fantastic series of blog posts just walks you through it from nothing uh, all the way to uh, animating some uh, some sprites in double high res. So uh, if you're interested in cracking that underappreciated and underused graphics mode, this is, I think is a great place to start. <laughs> I uh, I particularly love this, this blog because the background image... Um, is it looks like it's from one of the ultimate games and it's kind of that that fragmented um um landscape that you get when you went in with a sector editor and you messed something up <laughs> and it wasn't enough to 
crash the program to keep it from from loading up but mm -hmm. suddenly you're you know you're either standing in the middle of a lake and you can't move or there's like you know random mountain fragments in the middle of the forest so I, yeah that that stuff i just i love that <laughs> the, the the glitch art it's beautiful yeah yeah and uh the uh, domain name of his uh of his blog is uh, canadian so uh maybe he's a fellow canadian uh, shout out even better that. yeah um yeah, it's a, it's, it's a really good read, that one. Uh, all right, well, speaking of uh, <laughs> crazy graphical stunts on this old <laughs> hardware, uh, this one I'm sure everybody has seen because this thing went super wide. Uh, this oh, was yeah. all over mainstream press. Uh, this got posted and reposted and emailed and all over the place. But we're going to talk about it because it would be... Uh, it would be just obscene not to talk about this. It's so amazing. So... Uh, this this fellow has created a rendering of the Last Jedi movie trailer uh, on an Apple IIc, and I assumed this was some sort of cheesy stunt, uh, you know, maybe involving just some Photoshop filters, you know, not running on real right. hardware, or perhaps some sort of you know video playback kind of thing, video streaming, which we've seen done on the Apple II. Something Spring like that. Or something. Yeah, yeah. But no, oh no. <laughs> this guy did it the hard way. So <laughs> I, the more I read about this, I like I went into this fully skeptical, thinking, oh, this is just going to be dumb, not as cool as everyone says it is. It was so much cooler than I possibly could have imagined. So this guy actually rendered, let me rephrase that, he hand drew the entire trailer in Dazzle Draw basically frame by frame and there's a there's a making of article that we'll link to that you have to read as well because it is, it shows pictures of how he did this he's got you know the the trailer playing on his modern mac with uh like acetate sheets and he's drawing you know in uh, dry erase marker and then transferring those sheets to his apple IIc to get the you know shapes down and the right you know motion in the characters as they move uh, and he literally drew this thing basically rotoscope style frame by frame uh, and it occupies 48 floppy disks and <laughs> plays back uh, in dazzle draw so yeah it's astonishing <laughs> I don't, it's hard to say enough amazing nice things about this effort yeah this is this is really this is wild um yeah the dazzle draw on a koala pad and down in the the making of write-up it's talking about he had to use like a put lay acetate over a, a 2c monitor so he could set up the guide for this thing i mean and like hand draw each one of these frames I, this is insane you're, you're nuts dude yeah awesome. yeah yeah, he wanted to have a layer system like Photoshop does on modern machines, uh, which DazzleDraw doesn't have. So he, he sort of created layers with these acetates, uh, and he kind of flips them around off the top of the monitor to sort of set up different shots and get his alignment guides and stuff. And yeah, the the amount of labor in this is really remarkable. And the courage to, I think, start something like that in this day and age, because, you know, spanning 48 floppy disks, I mean, odds are I don't one of those is going to go bad at some point during this process, and you're going to lose some or all of your work. Now, he, I'm, do you know, did he use real floppy disks, or did he do this with emulated disks? I didn't Well, it does, it does say that, that it, uh, and it, I don't know if it's an addition to or, or this is like the result of, but it's 288 image files. 
Um, it's okay. Here it is. Yeah. So for post-processing, he used Apple, uh, ADT pro and a floppy disk emulator to copy all 288 image files onto his modern MacBook. Okay. So I, I assume this is all nicely backed up and we don't have to worry about it. <laughs> yeah. So probably, okay. That's away. good. So yeah, he probably didn't use real floppy disks that are 40 years old and decaying for the actual uh, data <laughs> right. saving of it. So that's good. Uh, and yeah, I liked, uh, I liked the shout out to uh, ADT pro in there as well. That was nice. And uh, one, one sector goes bad and the whole project is lost. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, of course, the playback is done, yeah, on a modern Mac. He brings all of the uh, images into uh, iMovie or something and uh, and strings them together. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, nevertheless, yeah, amazing. I mean, there are so many. <laughs> what I love about this is the the authenticity of the effort because there are so many other ways to do this that would have looked exactly the same and would have been a lot easier. (laughs) So like he (laughs) could have just written some sort of Photoshop filter, you know, that would make every frame look exactly like an Apple II would have rendered it. And we've seen things like that before, like what would this modern game look like on an Apple II or whatever? And people write video filters or whatever. Uh, but yeah, the fact that he did this the the very hardest possible way, uh, I just I, I really respect that. I don't I don't know why. <laughs> Gotta love that effort. All right, moving right along. Uh, so uh, yeah, listener Jorma, who we've had on the show, in fact, um, has been one of the early recipients of uh, Bulgarian mastermind Plamen's uh, newest product, which is the Fast Chip 2E Accelerator. And uh, this thing has uh, been quite the uh, quite the talk of the town over on the uh, Apple II Enthusiasts Facebook group. Uh, so this thing drives your Apple IIe to uh, a little over 16 megahertz, which is <laughs> pretty astonishing. Yeah, I, I um, I mean, I, I guess I can think of like off the top of my head, um, I don't know, like bubble sorts or <laughs> VisiCalc stuff, um, like super complex, um computations that, mm-hmm. because if you're going to do that of course you would use it 2e from you know 1983 or whatever <laughs> um but uh yeah 16.6 megahertz is i guess what this thing tops out at that makes it the fastest available um apple II accelerator it's based on the 65c816 with a 512k of a uh, fast ram a fast sram memory um, and you know, there, there have been a, a number of, uh, accelerators for the, for the Apple II series. Um, not, and this is not counting the GS. This is the Apple II. Uh, there's something called the number nine. Uh, there's the Saturn Titan cards. There's the Speed Demon. And then, uh, Applied Engineering had the Transwarp and the short-lived Transwarp II, as well as, uh, the Zip chips, the Rocket chips, um, a whole host of them out there. And unfortunately, a lot of those, now have been really hard to get. And so they're very expensive on eBay. Um, and this is going to, I think, they, uh, um, retail at $150 US, um, which will undercut, I think, a lot of those uh, high prices that you see. And it's um, presumably um, built on um, modern electronics. And so it's probably going to be a little bit more reliable than what you might get from you know a used seller. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, those uh, the zip chips and stuff, they go for big money on eBay, many hundreds of dollars often. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, they're all, you know, they're 40 years old. So who knows if they even work? A lot of times they aren't tested on eBay because um, people, sometimes people don't know what they are or they don't have an Apple II anymore. They found it in the closet. They have no way to test it, whatever. So uh, yeah, you're uh, spending a lot of money to roll those dice. Uh, so yeah, I think a product like this, if I wanted a, a really fast 8-bit, this would be a no-brainer for me for sure. Yep, this uh, will fit in uh, any slot one through seven, and it doesn't even override the uh, eighty-column functionality of slot three, so you can stick it right in there. 
Uh, comes with a, a little external control panel so that you can see exactly how fast your uh, Apple II is, is cruising along. And of course, Yarma has all of this written up uh, over on his Finn Apple blog. Um, it's an in-depth review. And um, even if you're not going to buy one of these, uh, I'd suggest you read it because it's pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'd also like to point out that uh, Jorma's uh, URL is finapple.hoho.fi, uh, <laughs> which you know makes sense because I imagine Santa Claus is from Finland. <laughs> Works for me. <laughs> it's actually HHO, but I, I, when I look at it, I, I, it looks like ho-ho to me. I like to close my eyes and imagine. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, with that insightful uh, color commentary, let's move on. Uh, next up, we have a Ewan Wanup's um, new software tool for the 2GS. He's, of course, been releasing all kinds of NDAs and CDAs and, and just generally awesome stuff for the 2GS for quite some time now. And his latest thing is uh, what he calls the new FTP toolset and sauce.ftp NDA. Basically, what this is, is it, it allows you to build your own FTP client or you can add FTP client uh, functionality right into whatever 2GS application you're building. You just drop this tool set into your system tools uh, systems uh, system tools folder and uh, add some commands to your applications and boom, you're done. Um, he's also releasing this NDA, sauce.ftp, which utilizes the tool set. Um, and from the 2GS desktop or while you're running an application, you can s just send a single file uh, or whatever to the host server using the FTP protocols. So this is all available at his uh, specy.uk website, and we'll have links in the show notes. Yeah, this is fantastic. I've been following uh, this on the uh, Apple II beta mailing list, um, which is for anyone who doesn't know, that's a mailing list for people developing new products on the Apple II to share uh, share builds and get people to test them and, and that sort of thing. Uh, and yeah, this FTP thing, it's it's fantastic, especially the, uh, I love the NDA. I mean, it's a full-blown FTP client uh, in an NDA on your 2GS, so you can just send files back and forth uh, through FTP, uh, which, yeah, if you're a serious 2GS developer, that would be a really, really useful thing for cross-development. All right, so next up, the Apple II Pie Card is getting an update. Uh, this one's been a while in the making. I know that a lot of people have been wanting to get Apple II Pie Cards, and they haven't been available for a while. Yeah, so what I'm reading over here uh, uh, from the announcement on Compsys Apple II, uh, the news group is uh, David Schmenk has posted the release 2.2 of the Apple II Pie uh, Apple II Pie based on the Raspbian Jesse image. So if you have the if you have one of these cards, you can bring your system up to date. Um, and uh, let's see, they, there's a link. We'll have links to uh, there's a, the SD SD card image that you can use. Uh, all full size models of the Raspberry Pi are supported from the Pi One Model B, uh, Pi Two Version One Point One One Point Two, and to the Pi Three. Uh, the Model Zero, he, he says, should be compatible, but has not been tested yet. And um, if you follow the the um, thread in Compsys Apple II, there's further talk about the hardware card itself um, and that the new version, I guess, um, Anthony over at uh, Ultimate Apple II is hard at work building as many of these things as many of these things as he can to sell them. Those are not quite available yet, but the software is there. Um, so I, I imagine it's not going to be long before you'll be able to purchase those as well. Cool. Yeah, I, I actually misspoke there at the beginning uh, when I was talking about it. This isn't a new uh, version of the card. Uh, it's just a new version of the software that runs on the Raspberry Pi that you put on the card in your Apple II. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, for anyone uh, who's not familiar. Oh, go ahead. Okay. I was say, but uh, you'll be able to, to get the card soon. What were you going to say? 
Uh, so for anyone who isn't familiar with this product, yeah, it lets you stick a, a Raspberry Pi on an Apple II expansion card, and then you stick that card in your Apple II, uh, and it allows you to kind of use the uh, use the Raspberry Pi to do some heavy lifting uh for your Apple II. So uh, you can uh, log into the Raspberry Pi, uh, you know, and use the Apple II as a terminal, and you can then like run software on the Raspberry Pi that way and uh, move data back and forth. So it, uh, yeah, kind of unlocks a lot of neat, uh, neat things. It's a, a convenient way to get your Apple II on the internet and, you know, do other similar things because the Raspberry Pi is doing all the hard stuff for it. In fact, uh, there was an especially good stunt shown at K-Fest one year by, uh, uh, in fact, I believe by Pierre Neubauer, uh, who we just spoke to, <laughs> uh, where he ran uh, G, uh, GS port on the Raspberry Pi uh, in an Apple II Pi card. So he was emulating a 2GS uh, on an Apple II 8-bit, which was pretty fantastic. Uh, okay, so next up we've got uh, a palm-sized Apple II. Now, I think we talked about this a couple of months ago, did we not? Oh, did we? Yeah, I think this is an update to it, though. So I think uh, uh, a couple of, maybe last month, maybe a couple months ago, uh, uh, a fellow had made uh, an Apple IIe emulator that runs on the chip computer, which is one of these kind of small hobbyist uh, single board computers. And uh, it had its own little monitor and everything. And he, he put it in, uh, I believe, one of Charles Mengen's 3D printed uh, Apple II enclosures, made a little teeny work in Apple II. And so that's now been updated to uh, the Apple IIe. So uh, if you want a little tiny working Apple IIe, you now have a way to do that. Pretty soon we'll have an entire line of little teeny tiny Apple II computers that you can get. <laughs> that's right. They are pretty adorable. Of course, the keyboards don't work, but uh, aside <laughs> from that, they're pretty adorable. Boom. <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, well, we all love BBSs. Uh, looks like we got a new one here, Mike. I hadn't heard about this. What's the story? Yeah, so this is another, um, well, I, would, I shouldn't say another. I don't know if there are any others um, running right now. Uh, this is an, an Apple II BBS that's running on real hardware that you can telnet to. It's uh, the, um, I don't know what his name is because the post over at Compsys Apple II just has like the email, the Gmail email address. Um, but it's called A80s Apple II BBS. Um, and um, there are instructions over in that thread, and I'm, I'm sure there's a web page that I didn't find where you can, um, we can you can get your login information and things like that. Uh, it's, it, I think it's neat that you can tell that to it, but it's actually it's not just running on you know Synchro or something like that on a Windows machine emulating an Apple II. I think that's pretty cool, um, and I think that they've been uh, whoever's been doing this has been like putting uh, videos up of of the software running on it. Um, over on YouTube, I'll have to find the link for that. But oh, that's very cool. Yeah, yeah. There's there's certainly lots of retro BBSs out there. It's rare to find ones running on real hardware. I think so, especially on Apple II hardware. That's really awesome. Yeah. I wonder if he's got a, a hard drive for it, like a, a cider, or if he's running on a CFFA, like a 32 meg ProDOS image, or something like that. He's running on a, a really old Apple profile uh, hard drive, you know, one of those that takes forever to, to run and just crashes like crazy. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm kidding. I, I don't know. I, I would assume that, that maybe that would be something you would want running on like a CFFA, but, yeah. you know, maybe not. Yeah, the weak link in a, a BBS nowadays would definitely be the floppy drives. I mean, they're, yeah, they they were never really built for that amount of continuous use at the time. And uh, nowadays, you know, they're all <laughs> 40 years old and the floppies are not getting any younger either. So, uh, yeah, I imagine it's probably running on some kind of emulation. Here it is. So it's it's not a web page that he's got. It's a, it's a Twitter feed. 
Um, and like he's showing, there's uh, videos and screenshots of all the hardware that he's got installed. And it's, you know, like I think the most recent one was from today where he installed a Time Master 2 HO. So now there, there, there will be time, uh, accurate time kept on the BBS, that sort of thing. Cool. Okay. So he's doing a lot with vintage hardware if he's using a Time Master instead of, you know, a modern replacement like from a Reactive Micro. Yeah. And it, I believe it's running on some version of the GBBS Pro software that recently went not open source, but freely available. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, that's great. I love it when people have screenshots of the hardware running on BBS, that the hardware that the BBS is running on. I think that's fantastic. Uh, I think we've, I think we talked about this a few months ago, but Jason Scott, somewhere on archive.org has a collection of uh, BBS uh, hardware setups, uh, I think from his documentary, the BBS documentary, showing, you know, people's actual bedrooms covered in, you know, hardware with, you know, drives with no enclosure and, you know, pilfered everything from everywhere and wires hanging all over the place, just the crazy setups people had running these BBSs. Uh, Frankenstein computers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, we've been talking a lot about Kansas Fest uh, this month, but of course, it's not the only uh, big Apple II convention running imminently. Uh, Was Fest Slot Seven uh, has been announced. Uh, <laughs> lol, 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 lol. Uh, as is their tradition, they are uh, coming up with funny names uh, involving the numbers, and uh, so this year is number seven. So it's Slot Seven. Uh, the, I believe the full name is Wasfest Slot Seven colon Your Card, which uh, <laughs> will give two GS uh, users out there a chortle. And uh, so it's uh, scheduled for uh, the twenty second of July, twenty seventeen, uh, around uh, midday Sydney time. And uh, they are going to attempt, as usual, a video hookup with uh, Kansas Fest in uh, Missouri because they do overlap. I think, uh, as is tradition, that will fail horribly uh, because (laughs) Skype around the world, uh, not exactly reliable, but they will attempt it at uh, 1400 local time, which is 2300 Friday Kansas City time. So uh, 11 p.m. Uh, in Kansas City if you're going to be at K-Fest on Friday. This will be one of those rare late night sessions that Peter was talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's another one actually that I want to see. I always miss the attempt to do this every year. So uh, <laughs> I will enjoy seeing that. And of course, we do actually get a uh, uh, at least one Australian uh, lately every year uh, for another show, Michael Morn, uh, who also hosts co-hosts uh, the Retro Computing Roundtable. Uh, he tr- makes the uh, he makes the epic trip uh, around the Blue Marble uh, every year to attend in person, and I think we're going to get some other Aussies this year as well. I've heard rumors. I won't. Con- I'm not going to name any names in case they can't make it. I don't want them to feel bad, but. Uh, all right, moving right along. Uh, tell me who Kelvin Sherlock is, Mike, and what he's got going here. So Kelvin Sherlock is an uh, Apple II, I think, mostly GS developer. Um, he's been on, we've had him on the show before. Um, he may be most famous, well, uh, most famous, but one of his uh, popular projects is is the G-Shizen, Shizen, G-Shizen, Shizizen, whatever. I've heard it pronounced so many ways. It's it's a very popular uh, game for the Apple II GS. He's also uh, written Silver Platter, PNG, uh, PNG Floyd, Shrink Fit X and Profuse for Mac OS X and um, an iShizen or iShizen version for uh, a version for iOS. Um, and he has now released uh, in, in um, what's that? What's the word that the Hollywood types use in, in association with uh, <laughs> juice.gs? 
He's released uh, what, what is, he is calling the Golden Gate compatibility layer. And what this does is it allows you to run Orca and the genome shell uh, as if they were native on modern OSs, whether you're on Windows or uh, Mac OS. Um, that's, that's available for you now, and it costs you a, a cheap $10. Yeah, very cool. All right. Uh, all right. So we've talked in the past a fair bit about uh, the Apple II clones. I think we practically did a whole show on them at one point. Uh, just all the crazy ones that are out there. The Apple II was so easy to clone. Uh, <laughs> the both the uh, the strength and weakness of it was that it was entirely off the shelf parts. So uh, ten minutes with a ROM dumper, and uh, you too can clone an Apple II. And uh, so, but here's a, here's a corner of the world that we don't often hear about from this time period in computing, and that's uh, the uh, mainland People's Republic of China. So we've got a great blog post here by someone who managed to get their hands on a uh, CEC1, which is a very rare uh, Apple II clone from China from that period. And... It is pretty great looking. I mean, it, it looks, it reminds me a little bit of maybe like uh, a ZX Spectrum, but with a real keyboard. Uh, and it's got this really crazy D-pad looking keyboard uh, arrow key thing on the side of it. Uh, comes in crazy colors. Uh, red, of course, for good luck in China and also beige uh, so that you look like a professional uh, in America in 1980 something. And uh, so this person yeah, has found one of these with the box, uh, which is great. They've uh, dismantled it and taken pictures of all the chips and everything. So you can kind of see all the guts of it. Uh, really, really great pictures. Um, so, uh, yeah, definitely worth a look. Yeah, uh, this again is, is Yorma's blog. Um, and um, I, I like the write-ups that he's, he's done. It looks like he's kind of gone out of his way to try and find as much uh, information about this as possible, including running pages through Google Translate mm -hmm. for sometimes hilarious results. <laughs> um, but basically what this is, well, this was a, um, according to one result that he got, it's a, a, or a, a learning machine organized by the Ministry of Electronics Industry Computer and Information Bureau Tsinghao University presided over the joint design, the electronics division, six state owned 734 plant, uh, Shanxi province computer factory and Huaming computer company limited to participate in the development of a smart type computer. Period. <laughs> uh, um, the CEC one or CEC I, I'm not sure. Um, uh, Chinese learning machine is compatible with the Apple IIe and has the same functionality. Um, and he's got some shots of the, uh, the documentation that came along with it. I love that, uh, one of these is like a couple of, um, obvious you know, schoolgirls um, using this thing. Oh, I think it might, that might actually be an Apple II, but they've removed the Apple II plate, the nameplate. Yeah. Here. I was going to comment on that. I wonder what the deal was with that. Yeah. The, the picture on the front of the manual is not the computer. It appears to be a real Apple II, but as you say, with the, with the nameplate removed. <laughs> Well, you know, we didn't want Apple's lawyers coming to knock on their doors, yeah. I, I guess. It's just strange so they wouldn't use a photo of their own computer on the front of the manual. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so there's also one called the CECE, uh, which was just made in beige. I don't know what the difference between the I and the ER, but again, not as uh, lucky. Yorma. Ah, that's right. Yes, um, <laughs> Yorma has a, a great write-up um, and some really interesting stuff there. So you should check out that blog post. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. I didn't actually make the connection that this was uh, Yorma's uh, blog again. So apparently he himself has acquired one of these, which is pretty great. Yes. Gosh, uh, did it. 
I wonder where people find some of these really rare things. Uh, we talked recently about um, the uh, Tiger Learning Computer that uh, got written up on, uh, was it Blake Patterson who found one of those? Uh, I think so. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, it's another another really rare, rare Apple II artifact that I love to see. So it looks like this is going to be a two-part post, and he'll be booting it up in part two. Uh, that has not been written yet. Um, it, it is a shame that he did have to throw away the the box, the, the original computer box, but it looks like it was pretty moldy, and uh, you just don't want the health problems associated with that. <laughs> yeah, 20-year-old foreign mold. I don't know. <laughs> could, could, could be anything. Not that there's anything different about foreign mold, I guess, but I don't know. <laughs> Uh, all right, moving right along. Uh, so this is pretty great, Mike. Uh, you snuck this one in on me also. Um, Microsoft <laughs> ports Lemonade Stand to Windows and Mac OS. Tell me what's going on here. Yeah, so the write-up, uh, the, the write-up that I found was uh, actually um, on a, a Microsoft Central on MSFT uh, blog site, and they have sort of a, an overview of, of what this is and where you can download the files. But the original post is actually over on the, um, the official Microsoft MSDN um, blog. And it's, um, uh, it's real short because it's Lemonade Stand. There's not much to it. But the write-up, this was done by um, um, uh, Microsoft employee Raymond Chen, who I guess was really bored one day. Um, he, when he was younger, I, um, he played, uh, lemonade stand and, and figured out that, um, this wouldn't be too difficult to, to port to a modern platform. And, and I mean, I, I don't know that, I don't know what you're really getting by doing this instead of emulation other than just the coolness factor, but, uh, you can download all this stuff plus the original code, uh, now from their website. Yeah, pretty amusing. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think I even actually knew that was a Microsoft product, to be honest. Um, yeah, I, I don't, was it? I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, maybe I, it, they, I, I just assumed someone at Apple wrote it, I guess, in their spare time or something, because it was just on every disc. Yeah, I, I don't, um, well, I mean, you know, Microsoft had a lot of early code in both the hardware and, and uh, Apple II products that they re- released. So I, I guess it would make sense that this could be, um, somebody who knows a lot better than us will, will write us in, will write into us and yell at us and we'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. To me, Lemonade Sam was just like hydrogen. Like no one knows where it comes from, but it's everywhere and it's just always been. <laughs> all right. That was a weird analogy, but, yep. <laughs> uh, all right, well, let's just, uh, get past that as quickly as possible and move on just to, uh, it never happened. Yes. Uh, some, uh, if you're one of those people who likes to see how, uh, other people live, uh, who, uh, live better than you ever will. Uh, I guess I'm, I'm not one of those <laughs> yeah, people, wow. but uh, uh, Apple employee number three, Mark, uh, Mike Markala, it's a mouthful, uh, is selling his ranch uh, for uh, a mere $45 million, And uh, it's, what, 3,000 acres, uh, something like that. Uh, it's in uh, Carmel, uh, includes such things as staff residences and uh, a 3,000-foot private airstrip. So, oh, sorry, 14,000 acres, my mistake. Uh, room enough for 450 cattle, uh, which is pretty great because I've been wondering where to put my 450 cattle. Uh, <laughs> so maybe I should look into this. Uh, of course, the house is beautiful. Um, but yes, it is. Uh, they, they clearly spared no expense. Uh, apparently, uh, he went into early retirement at age 32 uh, after making millions on his Apple stock. Uh, and the fruits of that uh, labor, in scare quotes, went into this ranch. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how retired he actually was because I know that Markula was involved with 
Apple, I think pretty much all the way up until, you know, Jobs triumphant return in 97. Um, I, I know he was at least very, at the very least on the board at that point. Um, and then when Jobs came back, it was kind of, you know, it's time for you to go. And then he, he, uh, retired from, or resigned from the board at that point. But yeah, this is, uh, this is what happens when you're employee number three and you, uh, worked before that at, uh, Intel and, and you, um, then re- you retired from Intel, like uh, in his, I think early twenties or something. Um, and then became a, um, uh, I guess what we would call now an angel investor. Mm. So yeah, it's a tough job, I guess, but somebody has to do it. That's right. <laughs> uh, I, li- I do like this quote here that the New York times described Markola as providing adult supervision to the two founders. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think he was a little bit older and, and kind of had to rein in some of the, some of the more, uh, uh wild instincts that, that they had. Yes. All right. Well, speaking of uh, ridiculous amounts of cash, uh, the <laughs> there's another uh, Apple One that has gone up for auction, and uh, this one for a mere three hundred and thirty-five thousand. How disappointing! Yeah, that that was the final price. I think we mentioned this a couple of episodes back, and and uh, yep, we, we knew that the uh, the market was cratering, and and people are unloading these things, and and uh, so I guess you know buy low, sell high. Now's the time to grab five or six if you got a if you got a couple of extra bucks in your couch. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you should really be stocking up on Apple Ones. I think at this point. Yep. Yeah. This, uh, this Apple One was originally uh, um, acquired by Frank Van Gilly the third and and sold to Andrew Zach Zacharias for three hundred dollars on on uh, in May of uh, seventeen uh, seventeen seventy eight <laughs> May of uh, nineteen seventy eight. So even then it was uh, he he purchased it at a significant discount from the original six hundred sixty six dollars. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope uh, someone's very happy with that Apple One. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't say who actually bought it. <laughs> uh, I'm actually going to jump ahead in our notes here because we've got another Apple One item. Uh, so, uh, somebody has tracked down the apartment where was built the first Apple One. Uh, yeah. So this is kind of a neat story. There's uh, maps here and pictures of what it looks like today. Uh, it was originally called the Villa Serra Apartments and is now the Markham Apartments. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they, they, this person tracked it down. <laughs> yeah, I don't, um, I don't see uh, a name immediately. Um, oh yeah. So John Kalande, um, has, uh, uh, he's a software engineer and he has spent a significant amount of time, um, talking to Waz and Randy, um, Randy Wigginton and a few other Apple employees, um, and it looks like his, this blog is, yeah, it's apple1computer.blogspot.com and everything there is focused on, on that particular model. But, uh, he tracked down, uh, got a hold, hold of Waz and, and, um, Waz, I, his memory is a little bit hazy and I don't know if they have the actual, um, apartment number, like a hundred percent, this is it, but they're, they're pretty sure that they, they've got it. And, um, it's just, it's kind of cool that somebody would spend their time to go and do this. Yeah. Um, you know, especially because like, you know, everybody knows that the garage and then when was corrected that, um, it's, it's still sort of, um, interesting to remember that there was a, there were a lot of steps to getting to that, that mythical garage. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always just assumed it, this was done in the garage as well, but, uh, yeah, that, uh, that story, like so many others is, uh, largely apocryphal as we've talked about on the show. <laughs> yep. Um, this is when, uh, Waz was still working at HP and I guess he was doing the major design work kind of at, at night at HP after his you know regular job ended at five or whatever in his cubicle. And then he would come home and, and build this thing. So pretty cool. Yeah. Very cool. Indeed. 
Uh, all right, so uh, we'll wrap up the news segment here with a little more KFest stuff. Uh, there's going to be some special offers at KFest this year, it looks like. Yeah, and this is one thing we didn't really touch on too much with Peter, but um, if you if you're coming and you want to buy some Apple II gear, you know, bring a little cash with you. Uh, Chris Torrance will have uh, copies of his um, assembly lines, the complete book that he did with Roger Wagner for the special price of fifteen dollars. Charles Mangan will be there with uh, some new items from Retro Connector, and he'll be selling David Finnegan's uh, new version of the the new Apple II user guide, direct from the author. Um, Stephen, Steve Weirich will be there and he'll be uh, selling signed copies of his sophistication and simplicity, the history of the Apple II for $20. Call Apple will be there and they'll have the, their new books that we mentioned. And I'm sure probably some of, the, um, some of their other products as well. It looks like they've got uh, the GBBS Pro 2.2, a professionally produced and significantly updated physical manual and software update. And of course, Henry Corbis of uh, Reactive Micro and partner of Anthony over at Ultimate Apple II. They'll be uh, selling the Ramworks 3 kit for $60, which is $5 off, and their popular Universal PSU kit, the, the power supply thing that you can buy and uh, you just snap off the pieces that you don't need, solder it together, and boom, you've got a, a new power supply for whatever Apple II or three that you have. <laughs> All right, you got it in. <laughs> uh, yeah, and no, actually, I'll just throw in that I'm probably also going to be selling my uh, ROM again this year, my, my Apple IIc Plus ROM, which uh, defaults the accelerator to off uh, while still giving you the option to turn it on and corrects the beep sound to sound more like the OG Apple II beep. And, or uh, breaks it depending on who you are. Yeah, yeah. I developed this as part of my sort of uh, yearly project for KFest last year, and uh, I sold uh, sold them at the vendor table towards the end of the show, and I uh, have a few left over, so I will be bringing those. And uh, I don't have many, but uh, I will be selling uh, what I have. So come on out. I will throw my money at you. <laughs> Uh, all right, well, that's it for the news. Uh, we've got a little bit of woos, Mike's favorite segment, so let's roll on into that. We like was, and we know you do too. It's was news. It's woos. So uh, a little uh, article on uh, over on 9to5mac.com. Uh, they love to talk to was and uh, speak to him. They did like, once again. This time he's talking about uh, Apple's ability to innovate as they continue to get larger and uh, Woz is of the opinion that Apple is too big now to be innovative and that whatever the next big thing is, it will not come from them. Uh, so, you know, that's probably fair. I mean, you know, the big monster companies are not usually the ones that uh, do the crazy innovative things. I think that's uh, always uh, been true. So uh, you look at what might be the next big thing right now, things like uh, virtual reality and uh, you know augmented reality, and uh, it's mostly small, scrappy startups doing that kind of stuff right now. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, you can argue until you're blue in the face about, like, you know, well, what is really innovation? And, like, who created the iPhone, you know, did – Typically, it's it's common. I mean, it's common to refer to Steve Jobs as the creator of the iPhone, but he's not the one that sat down and coded it. He didn't build the hardware. So you know, it's this is these are teams of people, and the ideas typically have come from other people and and software products and companies that Apple has purchased in the past. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know that Apple 
I don't know, and I'm sure I'll get yelled at for this, but uh, it's, it's always been my opinion that Apple doesn't really do things first. They do things better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the iPhone was a way better cell phone, but the cell phone had been around for ages and ages. And, uh, you know, the, the GUI that came on the first Mac that was something that they got from Xerox, but Xerox didn't know what it was and it was kind of clunky and didn't know how to sell it. So yeah, um, I would, I would say that this is probably true, but I, I wouldn't think that Apple is going anywhere or is going to be what, you know, a company that is thought of as, as behind the times or anything. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a fair analysis that that's always been the case. I mean, even the Apple II, I mean, it was hardly the first home computer, but you know, what was distinct about it was that it was the, the first one that was, you know, that you could just buy it and plug it in and use it. And it, you know, it did, it did things the way that people wanted them done. And so that's sort of the, uh, the advantage of being the second mover, you know, as they say in the business world that, uh, you know, you, you let the other people make all the mistakes and then <laughs> find out what the market actually wants and, uh, and uh, swoop in and do that. So, yeah, Apple has certainly typically been, been that, uh, that company that does that. Having, having said that, it, it would be nice, I guess, if, um, I don't know, lately it, it feels like it's just been a stream of iterations of thinner, faster iPhones <laughs> and iPads and, and MacBooks and iMacs and, that's about it. But, um, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not worried at all. Have you, have you, I, I know you get to San Francisco every now and then. Have you seen the new campus yet? No, I have. The spaceship? Yeah, I've looked at it on uh, Google Maps. It's uh, pretty astonishing how, how big it is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah, just sort of random connection to that. Uh, a friend of mine is, uh, has a logistics uh, company, logistics and construction, and, uh, they got the contract to install uh, the sliding glass doors on that structure that lead out into wow. the park uh, courtyard area. And uh, so these doors are, uh, they're five stories high and cur- made of curved glass. There's something like 60 feet wide and five stories high. Oh my God. Uh, they're just incredibly enormous. So his company had the job of, of transporting and, uh, and hanging these doors. And uh, yeah, it was quite an operation. <laughs> So, wow. yeah, they uh, they are sparing no expense on that structure, that's for sure. Maybe Apple's new innovation is architecture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Apparently, the, the new building has a has a 100,000-square-foot gym in it. So if you want to work oh, out, goodness. they have room for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, you want to work out and not have to, to fight over uh, over the uh, elliptical? That's the place to go. <laughs> that's right, yes. Uh, the article that I got uh, I got that statistic from was uh, titled uh, "Apple's new campus has a hundred thousand square foot gymnasium and no daycare." So I'm just throwing that out there. Make of that information we will. Hmm, priorities. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, so yeah, that's all the woos we have uh, as usual, and uh, I've got a little bit of feedback. Why don't we talk about that? Uh, sounds good to me. us talk. Now it's time to tell us what you think. All right, we just got a couple of emails uh, this time around. Uh, we got one from listener Jerry, who says, uh, in response to the soft talk segment and the topic of barcode readers and numeric keypads, I thought I'd chime in. Uh, this is in response to me saying uh, somewhat snidely uh, who was buying those things uh, in response to <laughs> numeric keypads and barcode scanners that were constantly being advertised. Uh, uh, yeah. So uh, Jerry goes on, uh, over the years, I've seen a number of Apple II, TRS-80, and C64 machines used as point-of-sale devices. 
While I doubt the manufacturers of barcode readers or numeric keypads sold tons of them, I'm sure the business folks that used their micros in their stores were primary customers. A niche business to be sure, but as I listened to you go through the old ads, most of those ads were also from niche businesses. So yeah, I'm really glad that you uh, wrote in to tell us about that, Jerry, because that never occurred to me that, yeah, a lot of people would use uh, an 8-bit computer as, as a point-of-sale solution. It would be a really inexpensive way to do that. Um, for anyone not familiar with retail, that's basically a cash register uh, that also, in the case of computers, you know, tracks your inventory and things like that. So, uh, you know, it automatically keeps track of how much, you know, of each product you have in your store and so on. Uh, so, of course, yeah, that makes perfect sense. A numeric keypad and a barcode scanner would be just the ticket for that type of application. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for enlightening us on that one. Oh, Jerry finishes to say, uh, I can also remember seeing what looked like Apple II text mode monitors in A&W and Dairy Queen fast food outlets that tracked how long it took orders to be filled. So that's a great observation. Yeah, it's. I can definitely believe that Apple IIs were involved in uh, those types of uh, behind-the-counter types of systems in fast food restaurants or other places that were early adopters of uh, automation and computing. Yeah, I hadn't uh, hadn't even thought of those uh, an application like that. But then every time I see one of those articles that you know that they do these days, where it's um, like here's here's old computers still in use, you know, and and whether it's business accounting software or um, running lab equipment or or some assembly line, um, I'm always surprised. Like, oh, that's something I'd never even thought of that it would be used for. So, uh, yeah, thanks for sharing that with us. It's really great. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. The last email I have here is from listener Justin, who says, Hey, Quinn and Mike, I'm loving this podcast, and I'm a huge Apple II fan. In fact, my first computer was an enhanced Apple IIe back in 1992. Wow, that's quite late, actually, for <laughs> adopting yeah. the Apple II. So yeah, good on you, Justin. Uh, I'm curious to learn about mouse text and mouse graphics and how developers created the Mac-like GUI desktops in text and graphics modes for the 128K Apple IIe used in programs like Mouse Paint, Publish It, and so on. Uh, I know Apple had mouse text and mouse graphics Apple II desktop toolkits for developers that are now sold on Syndicom, uh, but how did those toolkits all work? I'm hoping you can do an episode focused on mouse text and mouse graphics and the Mac-like GUIs for the Apple IIe. Thanks and keep up the good work. Uh, well, Justin, uh, you've come to the right place uh, because we actually have quite a lot of interest in that here as well. In fact, uh, you know, the the granddaddy of uh, GUIs for the uh, 8-bits was, of course, Geos, which Mike and I are both fans of, and we did an entire oh, yeah. episode on that. So you'll definitely want to go back and listen to that. And uh, we've talked about mouse paint a fair bit as well on the show, uh, both in the context of uh, some of the tech segments that I've done on the mouse and, of course, when we interviewed Bill Budge, the uh, the author of Mouse Paint. And, uh, of course, uh, on the text-based side of things, uh, mouse text uh, is something I'm a big fan of, and I wrote a uh, library for working with that called WeGUI, which I presented at KFest uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, I'll link to that in the show notes because, you know, any excuse to link to my own crap, I will take. <laughs> and, uh, hey, it's, it's half my show. If you want to link to your own crap, go make your own podcast. <laughs> Uh, and uh, awesome. so, yeah, I will link to that as well. It lets you do uh, those types of GUI uh, interfaces in uh, AppleSoft, Basic, or in assembly language. Uh, now, he just, he, so mouse text, of course, uh, we know what that is. He talks about something called mouse graphics, uh, and I don't know exactly what he means by that. It, I don't know if there was a library by that name or if you're familiar with that one, Mike. That's not one that is immediately jumping to mind. Okay. Uh, so the, I know you know I know the GUIs the GUIs in most Apple II 8-bit programs were 
you know, just made by hand, uh, one-offs, you know, like mouse paint was done that way and probably publish it. And, uh, the other, uh, I know that Multiscribe was the same way. It was just a one-off thing, uh, written by that company. Uh, so, you know, everybody was just looking at the Mac and being like, okay, we can do that. And just, you know, trying to figure out how to write it themselves on, on the Apple II. So I don't know if there were actual GUI libraries per se, uh, for the graphic side of things, but, uh, uh, yeah, certainly mouse text was also used really heavily uh, in uh, file launchers and, you know, little utilities like copy to plus and that sort of thing. Yeah, um, I was just thinking about his um, 1992. Uh, I think that was a year what, before the 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 2U was finally like the, the two line other than the 2GS was or maybe the 2GS. No, yeah, when was the 2GS discontinued? Yeah, I think the 2GS was discontinued first, if I'm not mistaken. And I think the, two, the 2E was definitely 93 when they shut it down. And I think the 2GS actually was a little sooner. <laughs> so that would have been like the year before it was discontinued. And I believe at that point you could pick up like a brand new Apple 2E for, you know, maybe 200 bucks. I mean, you, it was more if you paid for the monitor and stuff like that. But they were going for pretty cheap at that point. So... That would make sense, actually, that, you know, if somebody wanted a, a, a cheap entry-level computer that, you know, had a great software base and this thing runs and it's solid and, and there's plenty of information out there about it that you would go for something like that if you didn't want, you know, whatever 486 or whatever it was it was was new and expensive at the time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, at that point, the platform was so mature that, yeah, the software was re- was really great. I mean, you could get hard drives by then, and you could get great things like Geos, and of course, all the games were there, and uh, and yeah, the hardware was cheap, and floppy disks were cheap. So yeah, why not? Sure. Uh, all right. Well, that's all the feedback I have. Did you have any, Mike? I uh, did have a couple of items. Uh, these were posted as uh, comments to uh, you know when we post Apple Open Apple on the on the website. You can come over and, and uh, comment on the the write up, uh, the article that Quinn uh, puts together um, about the show. Uh, and Cucumber wrote in on our last one, and I think it, and this is a little bit vague. It says uh, perhaps Michael should have asked. Asimov has a 20k single file version of the final re- final release for running in Prodos. Um, this is our uh, episode where we had Michael Packard uh, and uh, talking about Alien Downpour. <laughs> so I'm not really sure what Cucumber was referring to. Maybe do you do you remember? Yeah, I didn't quite understand that either. Maybe he's saying that the disk image for uh, Alien Downpour is available on Asimov. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I know we talked a little bit about copy protection and things like that. So, um, yeah, Cucumber, let us know what that was about because you're endlessly interesting to me. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. So uh, I think that's all I have for this month. And, um, I think we're going to go ahead and push back soft talk one more month. Uh, just, you know, it's uh, summer and Kansas Fest is coming and everybody's kind of focused on that. And I think that typically our, our, our soft talk talks uh, add like an hour or so to the show, <laughs> yeah. and we're already at, we're already about ninety minutes of record time. So, uh, but that that is still coming. We haven't given up on that. Um, probably pick that up again, you know, in in August after after Kansas Fest. And man, oh, I'm just so excited! I can't wait to see everybody there. Yes, yeah, and of course, uh, next month will most likely be the uh, super mega whatever we call it chicken missile podcast <laughs> that where we get all the retro podcasters together and record a live show uh, at Kansas Fest, which is always just a, a huge amount of fun. It's one of my favorite things we do every year. So, uh, yeah, watch for that in our feed as well. 
And uh, hopefully we will see many of you at Kansas Fest. Uh, and if not, then uh, yeah, tune in uh, in August. Yeah. And uh, Quinn, I will see you in 19 days or so. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Bye, everybody. been the Open Apple Podcast. Subscribe to us in iTunes or visit us at open-apple.net where you can browse our extensive catalogue of past episodes or read our blog. If you like what you've heard today, or even if you didn't, your comments, questions or ideas are always welcome. Send them to feedback at open-apple.net.